Thanks for tuning in on our Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from, we pray you're encouraged by the message. We're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to read eight verses. I'll go through them super quick because I know you've been standing for a while, but it sets the precedence for what we're talking about today because today we are talking on the theme and the subject of discouragement. Would you look at your neighbor real quick and say, discouragement. We're going to be talking about this and I'll give you the reason why, but let me read the scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amicalites had invaded the south of Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from the small to the great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Verse 3. So David and his men, they came to the city, and there it was. It was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had all been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. How many of you guys know that is a good cry fest right there? If you were a lady in here, you were having a mascara meltdown. There's no mascara left to go. I mean, when you can't even weep anymore because your body is so tired from weeping, you are utterly discouraged. Would you agree? They had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, which that's a feat in and of itself, um, so is saying their names, by the way, um, so I'm not going to. And Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now watch verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed. Another word could be he was greatly discouraged, mightily discouraged. For the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But watch what David did. But David, he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Some translations say he encouraged himself. Now we read that and we go like, what did he just like give himself a pep talk? Like what does it literally mean that he encouraged himself? We're going to talk about that today because it's not what we think it is. It's not just like, hey David, encourage there's more to it than that. Because sometimes encouragement has to go beyond the words that we just speak out. Our words have power, but there's more to it than that. It wasn't just that David gave himself a pep talk. What does it literally mean to encourage yourself in the Lord? What are the steps to actually do that? Then David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And he brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? shall overtake them. And he answered them, God said, pursue. Everyone say pursue. He said, pursue, for you shall surely, watch here, overtake them and without fail recover all. Notice the directions that God gave him when David just asked a simple question. God, what do I do? Have you ever been discouraged and forgot to ask that question right there? and tried to do it on your own might, in your own way, or how somebody else did? I know I have. David, in his hardest time of discouragement, did the smartest thing he can do. He asked a question. And God was faithful. And God was loving. And God was kind enough to say, here's what you're going to do. And he boosted confidence into David. How many of you guys know, if you're going to go into battle, and the Lord's told you you're going to go to battle, but here's the great part, you're going to win. 
What's your mindset going into that battle? All is well. We just got to go fight. If you're taking notes this morning, I'd like to speak to you from the subject of disown discouragement. Last week, we talked about own your emotions. We take it now a step further. The emotion of discouragement. Does it own you or do you own it? That's what we're going to talk about. Amen? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Nate. Hey, let me just clear something up real quick while you're sitting here. I said he had two wives, and that's a feat in and of itself. But men, we know <laughs> we're more of the problem than they are. So just want to clear that up before all the ladies keep staring at me like I'm picking on the ladies because I'm, I'm not doing that. So disowning discouragement. How do you do it? What's it look like? What are the steps? You see, I'm convinced this morning that discouragement is one of the most primary weapons that the enemy uses against you and against me. If you were to go back to last Sunday and how you ended your Sunday, I don't know what you do after church normally. I don't know if it's usually lunch and then a nap and then time with your family. I don't know if it's a golf course. I don't know if it's, it could be whatever. But then go to Monday and go all the way through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Is there a time this week where you found yourself being discouraged? Did something happen to you that caused you to be discouraged? Did you do something that you know you probably shouldn't have done, and the first thing you felt afterwards was discouragement? How many of you would say this past week, in some way, shape, or form, there was a moment where you were discouraged? Show of hands so I know I'm talking to. Talking to the right crowd. You're just discouraged. Discouragement comes really in a lot of different ways, but mostly it's either what's done to us or what sometimes we even do to ourselves because of certain things. And I believe the enemy will try to use those things, discouragement, to get you to do a couple things. One, to just simply give up. Because if you can get discouraged to the point where you have no energy, no joy, no passion, no drive, you will eventually just give up. He will do it to keep you doing from what God wants you to do. See, some of us, we have such a specific assignment on our lives. And by the way, we all do. But for some of us, we're like right in this thing where we know exactly what God said to do. And along the way, we've got discouraged by it. And the enemy knows that if he can discourage you, that he can get you to stop or he can get you to quit. I have a friend. He's actually in this room today. I won't call him out by name, but he was talking about an adventure and a business adventure that he was on. And as he was starting to put himself out there and this company out there and this idea out there, it was after wall, after wall, after wall, after wall, after wall. And he found himself discouraged. Even in doing the very thing that God asked him to do, after hitting so many no's and so many, and how many guys, when you get a lot of no's, it's pretty discouraging. Especially, especially when you know you heard from God. Because the tendency is, if well, God told me to do it, then it's going to work. Absolutely true. But it's not always going to be easy. You've heard me say this. If you do something for Jesus, do not be surprised when walls come up. Do not be surprised when you face hard times. Here's the great part. If you heard from God, you just got to simply obey and just keep doing. It could just be that God is shutting some doors that you can't see so that he can open doors that you will eventually walk through. But so many times what happens is the enemy through discouragement, will get us to the place where we, we want to quit. This one especially, it will cause you to be or to feel overwhelmed. 
You ever been overwhelmed? Have you ever been so overwhelmed before you couldn't even put words together, a sentence together? Because you can't just get your mind right in the right place to think straight. That's what the enemy does. We're looking at a guy this morning who's really no stranger to any of us. His name is David. Whether we've been raised in church or not raised in church, everyone tends to know of David, the man after God's own heart, which, by the way, is a very perplexing statement, knowing what David did. For, for the guys who go to McDonald's every Wednesday at 10 o'clock, you're eventually going to get to this chapter, so you can just consider this my, my teaching to you today and the rest of you. But David's the giant killer as a young man. He, he's the one who would become king. That's a pretty big deal. He's the champion of faith. Matter of fact, we went through Hebrews. He was listed in that list of heroes. And we're looking today at David's story, especially in the area of discouragement, because if there's anybody who had the right to be discouraged, it was a guy by the name of David. David was doing everything that God asked him to do, yet at different times in his life found himself on the run. Let me give you the story leading up to what we just read. It's very simple. He's a young man. He's on the backside of a mountain. He's feeding his father's sheep. His older brothers, they're at war. David is summoned eventually because a prophet comes to town by the name of Samuel. He's coming to anoint the next king. And so the sons of Jesse all begin to line up. And as the prophet begins to go and begins to look at all these different guys that were older than David, bigger than David, more mature than David, the prophet goes one by one by one by one by one by one by one and goes, none of these guys are it. So the prophet says to Jesse, the father, is this it? And it's like the dad has this aha moment. <laughs> you ever forget your kids somewhere if you're a parent in here? It's like, oh yeah, I've got one more. He's on the backside of a mountain right now tending to my sheep. David eventually comes over. The Samuel, the prophet sees and goes, aha, that's the one. And he anoints him as the next king, the next king of Israel, by the way. Keeping in mind up until this point, God has had to use many different channels and ways to try to work with the children of Israel. He's gone from prophets. Uh, he's, he, I mean, he's gone to judges. I mean, it's, it's just been a crazy warp cycle. We talked about the, the sin cycle of Israel. They do good, they do bad, they do good. It's just bad. Now God says, I'm, I'm going to put the, this king in charge. And David, man, he, he, he's up for it. Now, you would think that after God chose David, the prophet anoints him that everything would just begin to fall into place. I mean, it's like, the, it's like the perfect story. I mean, can you imagine your life changing in one moment when a prophet of God looks at you and says, you're the next king? That's a pretty big upgrade from the backside of a mountain feeding sheep. Anybody ever study sheep? Dum, 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 dum. Thank you, Dave, for that. That was good. I like that. Not very smart. Sheep can't go anywhere safe without being led. Anyways, that's for another story and for another day. Thankful my last name is Shepherd and not Sheep. Anyways, so, so David, he gets anointed. And it's like, man, at this point, man, here's the great part. Things are getting good. But he doesn't. When you read the Bible, you know what he does the next day? He doesn't go into the palace. He goes back to the other side of a field. Up until this point, David hasn't even fought Goliath. He goes back to everything being normal. Well, then the day comes where his dad comes to him and says, all right, David, here's the deal. Your brothers, they're out at war. 
I want you to take this bread. I want you to take this cheese. I want you to go there. David goes there. He sees this giant who's been testing them for 40 days and 40 nights just looking for a fight. 40, the number of testing, the number of trials. And David is like, who in the world does this guy think that he is that he can talk about my God like that? And David's looking around and there's a bunch of cowards that are scared of this big guy by the name of Goliath and this little shepherd boy who's on the backside of a mountain who can take care of himself and has proven it goes, hey, you give me something, I'll go get this guy. So Saul, that king, comes over, gives him his armor. David puts it on, doesn't fit quite too good. Says, forget this. What does David do? He goes and he gets these five smooth stones. He's got his sling. And David literally goes out and they get into a verbal thing back and forth. Goliath's like, who in the world are you? And I'll do this with your body and blah, 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 blah. And then David's like, who are you? You talking against my God like that? These guys won't say it, but I'll say it. Don't be messing with my God. He's defending God. That's pretty cool. And then the Bible says that David, I love this part, that David, he ran to the battle. I, I've been in Israel and we've driven by where that would have literally taken place. Huge valley right in the middle, and then it would go up. David didn't wait for the giant to get all the way over to hit. He was like, I got this. I'll go to him. And we know the story, right? David goes, boom, right in the middle of the forehead. He falls. Remember like in church, those little felt boards that they used to tell the story on? I was like, can we do something better with the stone part? Because you didn't throw that. You didn't show up being thrown. Anyways, it goes, kills him. And they, they for sure didn't do this part, Dave. David then goes over, cuts off the dude's head. So you, you ever watch a football game? Uh, not a Packers game, but like a Raiders game. Um, <laughs> football season's coming. Or, or like, a, like a, well, I can't say you watch the Sacramento Kings because we don't win at anything either. Um, Tiger had to withdraw from the tournament. I mean, again, my life as a sports fan is miserable. Um, but like, have you ever seen a team that's winning so bad or so much? They're, 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 don't, we don't say Dodgers in church, people. What in the world? This is a holy place. We don't do that. That's even worse. What in the world? LA. Anyways, moving on. And it's like, they're winning so much. And yet someone on the other team is still talking trash. You ever see something like that? You know, the only thing you need to say if you're on the team that's winning and someone on the other team is talking trash, it's just easy. Scoreboard. This was David's scoreboard moment. He's holding the head of the giant that he just killed. Think of what it's doing to all the guys around him who were cowards. Scoreboard, gentlemen. This is a crazy moment. It's a powerful moment. David goes from being this little guy hanging out with sheep playing on his harp, right? To being anointed as king, killing a giant. And you would think that after seeing that take place and this take place, that the very next place is going to be the palace where he's finally king. Nope! Doesn't happen. You could read it for yourself. David, from that point on, Saul gets super jealous of David. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. They're singing songs about David. 
David's the man in everyone's eyes. Saul's walking around. People don't even care about him anymore. He gets jealous and he starts attacking David. He's throwing spears. He's trying to kill him. David goes on the run. For what? He did nothing wrong. He's been anointed. He went after a guy who was messing with his God. I mean, you would think that everything would just fall into place for David. But it doesn't. In the chapter before we read, the Bible says that David even gets kicked out of the Philistine camp. Think about this. David went to the enemy's camp running from Saul. And when he and his mighty men go back to Ziklag, where their families are, that's when they discover that they've been invaded and they're gone. After everything that they had been through, that David had been through, all of the running taking place, I think it's safe to say that David was pretty discouraged. That he was at an all-time low. I mean, his men are so overwhelmed by grief and weariness that they literally want to kill him. How would you feel if those mighty men that you have fought in battle with turned on you and wanted to kill you you'd be pretty discouraged now watch this and the scripture says at David's lowest point in his life when everything seemed utterly hopeless when everything was completely against him when he was facing discouragement at an all-time high the Bible says especially in the amplified version because the amplified version amplifies things it says, but David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord at his lowest of lows. I don't think I have to convince you that when you are discouraged and when you are down, your very first step is to encourage yourself in the Lord. Matter of fact, it'd be really good if you wrote this down because it's the truth. Discouragement is defeated by encouraging ourselves in the Lord. Literally, it's defeated. Everyone say defeated. Okay, so if it's defeated, then here's what I have to do. I have to figure out what it looks like to actually encourage myself in the Lord. So how did David, at such a seemingly hopeless moment, figure out how to find strength in a tough time? The first thing he did, you can write this down, number one, is he had a mind that was focused on God. The very first step. You've heard me say this before. It's not something that I came up with. It's something that I took from somebody else. But you were, listen, your life and my life is always moving in the directions of our strongest thoughts. Think about it. If you feel like you've got nothing to contribute to life, then look at your life and you're probably acting as if that was reality. Because whatever you're thinking about, says, well, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So it's amazing how easily all of us, me included, can put ourselves at a place where we are called of God, used of God, a child of God, that can literally take a title of, I'm a failure, I'm good at nothing, I'm never going to be good at anything, and here's the reality. If that is your talk, that's exactly what you are. Because your life is always moving in the directions of your strongest thoughts. So David does something. He says, look, it's not in me. There's nothing good in me. But with God, if I could focus my mind on God things, then I could change the direction of my life. 
It's the same for all of us. If we're so discouraged, the very first step is you've got to have your mind focused on God. It has to be turned towards him. Think about this, okay? In the book of Psalms, the, the, we, we, we read that, that day, 150 Psalms in your Bible. This is, this is fascinating. 73%, 73% of them are attributed to David. And many of them are written at the most challenging and discouraging moments of his life. When he was feeling down, he turned his mind towards God. So David is teaching us something in the Psalms, and it's this, write this down. It's that discouragement is not a condition, it's a choice. You have a choice in the matter. If you were consistently discouraged and in a state of being discouraged, it's because you're choosing to stay there. It's not saying that we won't be discouraged, but it's saying that when you are, you actually have something to do with it. Am I talking the right language today? Are you understanding that when you have your thought life, which is supposed to be fixed on the things of God, to take every wrong thought captive, right, into the obedience. That's what, that's what Corinthians says. To, to understand that whatsoever things are pure and lovely and all of that stuff, your mind is so important in that. And listen to me, it's not just a self-help deal. No, no, it's a God-help deal. God has given you his word and it helps you in your time of need. It's what you go to. It's what you memorize. It's what you study. It is literally the advice that you give to somebody else when they're feeling down. That's why we don't just read the word of God for ourselves. It's also for the benefit of others so that we can have a word in good season. And do, have you ever been encouraged by somebody at just the right time and they didn't even know that you were going through a hard time? And what did they encourage you with? God's word. So when I read the Bible, of course, yes, I want to know God's word. I want to get it into my heart. I want to understand it. But then what happens is the Holy Spirit can actually use you and the Holy Spirit can actually use you to speak a word in the right season at a due time to completely change the trajectory of someone's life. But you have to have a mind that's focused on God. And I can't stress this enough. It's usually almost in every single message that I preach. That's why we are people of God's word. It's not just a Sunday deal. This should not be the only time you're in scripture. It should be every day. One of my favorite things to do every single day is read the Bible. But then after that, pray. But then after that, I love watching many of you in our church that are in the YouVersion Bible app, highlighting scriptures, reading certain plans. Matter of fact, at any given time, you can text our number. You can text the word Bible to 805-321-1357. And it puts you in a group in our program. And every single Sunday at 1 o'clock, many of you guys know because you get it every, every Sunday at 1, it literally sends you a devotion that you could read along with us as a church that takes you through the entire week. Now, are we doing that just to do that? Absolutely not. We're doing that because we're trying to show you the value of being in God's Word daily, but also being in a community of people that if you have a question or if you have a prayer request or if you want to say what stood out to you, that you can literally put it inside of there and it begins to encourage one another. It's my favorite thing to do. 
At nighttime, we'll, we'll, we'll get the boys down. We'll get Addie down. And usually the first thing I do when we sit down before we watch a show, before we go to bed, is I hop back on the Bible app. I've been in the morning, and I pop on there, and I just see all the people and all the readings and all the things that God is just pointing out to them. And it makes my heart so happy because people are saying God's word is life. God's word is bread. It's, it's nourishment to my body. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's powerful. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that that is what David is showing us in Psalms. He's saying, look, if you're discouraged, step number one, put your mind on God. Find your joy and your hope and your peace in his words. Discouragement, listen, is not a condition, it's a choice. So how do you get out of that, man? You, you do that. Look at Psalm 16:8. David said, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. See, but the enemy's always on the opposite. He wants you to focus on the giants, the mountains, the enemies, and the problems. Oh, would you just look at that going on there? Oh, that's really not going good there. The enemy is always trying to get us to stay clear of what God is trying to show us to what he wants to show us. Listen, remember when he fought Goliath, all of the trained men of Israel, they're literally shaking in their boots, and Goliath and David shows up, and he has these words, and they're from God. Look at the words in Deuteronomy 3.16, Be strong and of good courage. Everyone say good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. That sounds really good right there. I got a God who's with me. I'm not alone in this deal. How many, listen, how many guys know what a good fight is? Anybody? You ever watch a good fight on TV? Don't look at me so... Anybody watch any UFC in here? Any boxing? Oh, now we got some hands going up. Okay, now we're talking, right? What's a good fight? I'll tell you what a good fight is. It's the one you win. Who wants to go out and get punched in the face and lose? No one. A good fight is a fight you win. So let me, let me get more spiritual with it now, right? If I'm in a fight, spiritually, and discouragement, and depression. If I'm in a fight where things seem to be coming against me, and I read a scripture like this, and it tells me, don't, don't fear, be full of courage, and then it goes on to say that you're not fighting alone, but God is with you, my confidence just went through the roof, because I'm not by myself. God's with you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Like, you think you're trying to fight your discouragement on your own, but you don't understand that God can be with you. You don't have to do this thing alone. So, so with that being said, David's like, whew, okay. Yeah, things are tough. Yes, I'm discouraged. Yes, I'm down, but I don't have to stay there. Why? Because I've got a God who is good, and he can help me. Listen, here's the worst thing. The worst thing that could happen is for us to forget that God is with us. To forget that God is your father. That God has good things for you. To forget that he is actually with me. It's a tragedy. But when I understand that he is with me, there's some triumph. You see, here's what I know. It's the awareness of God in my life and in your life that feeds your faith and starves your fears. Is when you know God is with you. It's the awareness of a big God, not a small God, not a little G God. I'm talking all 
capital letters with exclamation marks everywhere. A big God who is with you. And what he does is he lets you see from his perspective that this thing you're facing is mighty small compared to how big that he really is. That's what happens when you realize that God is with you. That that trial that you have is not as big as you're making it out to be. It's not the end of the world. God's got you. But the first thing is you have to have a mind focused on God. Secondly, is you have to have expectations that actually make sense. Now, I might camp here for a moment, okay? And I don't know if you could tell, I'm having a hard time with my words today because I caffeinated myself way too much. Truth be told, I, I hurt my back. I don't know how or when I did it. And I took a, a, a pill last night to help me with it. And I think it had some effects on me this morning. And so as I was going over my message this morning, I couldn't get words out of my mouth without stumbling. So then I did the opposite of that. I took a bunch of caffeine and had some great coffee. And then my father-in-law brought donuts for our financial class. That was really good this morning. Thank you, Bill and Sherry. And now I'm all zipped up. But man, this one right here gets me really fired up. You want to know why? Because when you don't have a proper expectations of things, you will always be let down. And I have found this in my life to be true. Listen, I, I make no qualms about it. I see a counselor. I've been doing it now for, this will be my second week in a row. I've done counseling all throughout my life, not as much as I should. Um, but I've been going through some things. And the Bible says to be wise, you've got to hang with the wise. And I've determined that there are wiser people on this earth that are much wiser than me that I can go and I can talk to. So I, I see a counselor. And as I was going through my session with her, we were talking about the many different things that I was feeling in my life and going on. And, and uh, if you guys know me for any length of time, it's not that I'm, I'm not always bound by my feelings, but there are things that we experience that actually God put inside of us that seem really hard at times to define. And, and, and at times... I know for me, I am a, a processor. Do I have any processors here? Let me define processors. In other words, there's a problem and you need someone to talk to. And the more that you can talk about it, you finally get to the solution. Does that make sense? Where some of you, you're so smart. You're like, oh, I already got the fix right here. I, I don't need to hear from you. I need to process this thing first, okay? I'm probably going to get to the same thing you just said, but I got to get my way around this. My poor wife, man. She's like, can you just get to the point? I'm like, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, I got, I'm, I'm trying to get everything out. And so as I was processing with my counselor, she picked up on it because she's smart. That's what she's trained to do. And I'll never forget this. She said, okay, here's the first thing we're working on with you. Every situation you get yourself into, every conversation that you're going to go into that you know is coming up, you need to take time to set what you think the expectation of that should be. And I asked her, it's, it's kind of funny when you talk with counselors, like when you start asking them why, because usually they're used to you, you know. So I, I, sh I shot back at her. I said, why? And it's a very simple answer. It wasn't rocket science. She said, the reason you need to set your expectations is so that if it goes the other way, you're not let down. Or if you don't hear what you want to hear, that it doesn't upset you. You need to go into situations where it could go either way. That was pretty interesting. And then I thought about it. I was like, man, I started going back to conversations with people, my own life, my marriage, my parenting, my call to ministry. H have you ever placed an expectation on someone without telling them what your expectation of them was? And then you were let down by it? So here's my question. Did they let you down? 
or did you just, did you just have a wrong expectation? See, we sometimes think that people know everything we're feeling. We sometimes think that they can read our minds. So when we go into a conflict, right, that's mostly what it's around. Let's, come on, who's ever been in conflict before? Let's all raise our hands. Everyone look around, okay. We go into a conflict, and we think that they understand exactly where we're coming from to find out very quickly they don't. And then it gets worse because we've placed an unrealistic expectation on a person or a situation and then therefore we were let down I have done this so many times I don't know if you have but I know I have here's the deal when it comes to discouragement you need to have proper expectations the reality is you will be let down by someone you will not always be understood by someone. You might one day go to work and have a job and the next day not have a job. You might one day do everything right and they'll do everything wrong. It's having a proper expectation. You would think that if the prophet Samuel came to your house and anointed you as king, that everything would line up. First you might think, finally, someone finally recognizes my greatness. David could have been saying that. He could have been having conversations on the backside of the mountain the whole time going, hey, my brothers, they think I'm weird. They think I'm not educated. But one day, and then the prophet comes and he anoints you as king, you would think David would go, whoo, finally someone got it. And then, <laughs> if you're David, you might expect a caravan of limos or really good camels, right? Showing up, all decked out, staircases to get to the top of them. You would think that after the prophet comes and does that, man, your life is good. But instead, David doesn't get a limo or a really good camel. David gets a fight with the giant. He gets a jealous king. He has the fleet of the Philistines. They kick him out. His whole family is taken captive. Here's my point. If you're going to be able to encourage yourself in the Lord, you're going to have to have realistic expectations. Because I believe David got this. I believe David got this principle. You can write this down. It's not a point, but you write this down. I believe David understood there's going to be a fight and then we're going to win. Notice the two things within that statement. Number one, there's going to be a fight. But number two, we're going to win. But he had to fight. He didn't just get the victory. He had a proper expectation. This isn't going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. You see, I meet a lot of people who get, dis get discouraged because they just can't understand why the enemy isn't giving them a free pass. Why has life always got to be so hard for me, they say? Why can't it just be easy? You guys have heard me say this before as Nate comes. You've heard me say this. When you sign up on this team called Team Jesus... It does not sign you up for anything easy because the enemy wants to destroy your life. But a lot of people, they come into Christianity 
and they go, well, shouldn't he leave me? Shouldn't I have like a free pass now? I'm like, I'm a baby Christian. Oh no, that's when he attacks even more because he doesn't want to get you going. You know what I mean? He doesn't want you to keep reading the Bible every single day. Right, Robbie? Tanya? He, he doesn't want you going after the things of God. He wants to stop you right when you start. Because here's the deal. The deeper you go in this deal, the deeper you discover how real and how good and how true God is. Because you begin to discover him more. So the enemy knows. Listen, I see the enemy take out new believers as quickly as he can because he knows once they get going, there ain't no stopping them. And discouragement comes. Look at John 16, 33. Words. Jesus, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Now watch here. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Oh, that's good. I know one person said hallelujah here. That's really good though. First Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. No, no, no. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Here's the reality. There's going to be a fight, but you're going to win but you're going to have to fight. Listen, if you expect victory without difficulty, you're setting yourself up to be discouraged. Every time. Dan, it'll never change. You keep going after the things that God has put into your heart, I'm telling you, difficulty is going to be there. You're going to be discouraged. But if you have the right expectation, you know what you do when it comes? Okay, this is par for the course. So I'm going to focus my mind on God. I'm discouraged. Okay, God, what do you say about me? God, what have you spoke to me? Okay, I'm starting to feel the joy come back up again. Okay, this is good. Okay, I'm understanding this. So when I get discouraged, right, I get my mind focused on God. And then we start saying things like, oh, you know, I expected this to happen. This isn't going to be easy. There's going to be a fight. But if I fight, I'm going to win because what? I'm, I'm not alone. I'm not doing this thing by myself. It's Okay. I know it sounds corny, it's Christianese, but go ahead, devil, take your best shot. Go ahead. I'm not by myself in this deal. I'm not fighting alone. Some would say, I don't know, I'm kind of a competitive guy. I don't know if you've picked up on that by now. But sometimes I'm just like, devil starts to mess with me, my marriage, my children, the, the purpose that God has placed on my heart to be a pastor of this church. And I've just gotten to the point where I've lived long enough and been in ministry long enough to know like, oh, this is actually normal. That's when you know you've matured in faith right there, right? When a hard time comes, you just go, well, it's going to happen. Instead of like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't mean this rudely. That's immaturity in Christianity. Maturity is you should expect bad things to happen because the enemy's coming after you. <laughs> Welcome to church. Hope you're encouraged. Because it's just the reality of it, you know. But if I get my mind focused on God, if I have expectations that make sense, and then lastly, this is so good, if I have faith in God's grace towards me or towards you. Look at that. Faith in God's grace 
Can I ask you a question on the life of David for those of us that have been in church for a while? What qualified David to become the king of Israel? I mean, just think about that for a moment, right? What qualified him? The answer is nothing. I mean, by all accounts, he's too young. He's small. When it comes to war, he's untrained. He's unsophisticated. He's got no background in government. He's got no financial experience. What qualifies this guy to be the king over a nation? Nothing in the natural. There was nothing that qualified David except this one thing. And I want you to hear this. God chose him. And friends, can I just tell you, when God looks down at you, he would say, and I choose you. You are my child. I've got great things for you. He chooses you. He counts you as worthy. Even though you know your junk, and we all got junk, right? He still got, that was really good right there. That's a good man. You all got it. The minute you think you got your life together, you really don't, because you never will. The older I get, and the more older, wiser people that I talk to, they say the same thing. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. You'll never have it all figured out. But the grace of God, it qualified David. And the grace of God, it qualifies you. If it was for nothing but the grace of God, we would be nothing. But that one simple act of Jesus on that cross and him giving his life in obedience to the Father, it qualifies you and it qualifies me. It is the game changer. It is the difference maker. Because of Jesus and his obedience, you and I, we have no reason. Look at me real quick. You've got no reason to let discouragement have any place over your life. So what we're going to do is we're going to disown discouragement. Discouragement doesn't own me. Discouragement leads to depression. Depression is not of God. Discouragement leads to anxiety. Anxiety is not of God. Depression leads to worthlessness, lack of purpose, anger. None of those belong to God. And therefore, they don't belong to you and they don't belong to me. Today, we're deciding in our hearts when we leave this place that when we get discouraged, we're taking our mind, we're putting it on God. When we get discouraged, we're setting realistic expectations in all we do. When we get discouraged, we're thanking God for his grace and his mercy over our lives. And that, my friends, is the one, two, three step. I don't know why I did that, other than I used to live in Sacramento in the hood. Um, that is the one, two, three step of how we overcome discouragement. That is how we strengthen ourselves or encourage ourselves in the Lord. We take our mind, we put it on God. We look at life, we set proper expectations. And when we just don't know what to do, we say grace and mercy, and we believe there's gonna be a fight, but we, we win. We're a little slow on that one. There's gonna be a fight, and then we, you believe it? Come on, if you believe it, would you stand up to your feet? Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us, text CONNECT to 805-321-1357 or visit us at slow.canyonhills.com. Until next time, have a great day and be encouraged that God is with you and for you.